the Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network presents Worldview Media Podcast, where Gordon and Joyce Runyon view popular media through the lens of the biblical five-point covenant model to help believers appreciate and apply principles of exciting narrative and engaging storytelling. And hello, welcome to the Worldview Media Podcast. This is episode number eight. This is the podcast where we review popular media and scrutinize it using the lens of the biblical five-point covenant in order to discern what worldview is being preached by these entertainment media. With me today... By phone is, uh, well, let me just say this. <laughs> I'm accompanied today by two women who routinely do more than imagined of them. That's right. On the, phone, on the phone, it's Jordan. Hello, Jordan. Hello. And in studio with me is my wife, Joyce. Hello, lovely lady. Hello. Uh, I was going to introduce Joyce as the woman who can do any kind of word puzzle one minute faster than me. (laughs) (laughs) Some days. Right. So we're talking about The Imitation Game with Benedict Cumberbatch and Kira Knightley. And uh, Jordan... Do you have a little, can you do a little synopsis of the movie? Tell everybody what it's about. Um, yeah, I guess so. Well, so it's, it's World War Two in England, and uh, this mathematician guy from, like, Cambridge, I guess, goes and he signs up to work with the um, the British Army to try and crack this, German code that they've been sending all their messages through and stuff, and uh, he is working on, like, building this machine that can break the code, and eventually it does break the code, but then later on in the future of his life, um, he's, like, he's arrested, and all this other crazy stuff goes down, and uh, he can't talk about what he was doing in the army because it's all classified, and then eventually... Um, he, he, it comes out that he's like, he's a homosexual and he gets all this, he has to take court mandated, uh, hormone therapy and, and then eventually he commits suicide. So, uh, but he, he, in the whole process of the movie has basically created the, what we know now as like computers. So, yeah. All right. He at least paved the way according to the movie. Mm-hmm. I did some research on this guy, Alan Turing is his name, and uh, the movie was based on a true story, but there are some places, like with most movies, where I think they took some uh, liberalities yeah. creatively. And uh, at the end of this movie, it's very sad. You see Turing basically destroyed uh, physically and emotionally, mm-hmm. and... Uh, and then it claims that he killed himself, and there's actually some competing evidence that 
says he may have accidentally poisoned himself, and a lot of his friends say he uh, he lived out the last years of his life uh, uh, still enthusiastically doing his work and, and kind of living defiantly and uh, kind of unbroken in spirit, I guess, is, mm-hmm. is how they would say that. But... Uh, Stuff like that. We'll we'll leave some of those things off to the side and just talk about what was in the movie. What was your overall impression of it, Mama? Well, um, this is unusual for us to do as a movie because everything else we've done has been not based on a true story. Sure. (laughs) You know, so this one is a little bit more reality-based. And um, there's a lot of going back and forth in time. You know, you're... It's not even present time, but it would have been present time for him, I guess. And then back to the wartime, and then even farther back when he was a kid, and then back to the wartime, sure. and then up again to where, right. you know, he's being interrogated. And so there's a there's a lot of switching around, and uh, it it kind of goes okay. So, uh, but there is a lot of that back and forth, which I don't particularly. I'm not a big fan of that. Right. So I had that written in my notes. I called it timeline chaos. They were. <laughs> They were trying to be a little bit too fancy, I think, switching into the future and then into the past. Well, I think when you're looking at a person, it's really hard to encapsulate their entire life. Sure. In, yeah. you know, a couple of hours, maybe. Right. And so, and he was a, definitely a unique person. Yeah. Uh, he wasn't real good with social interactions. Um, and so, you know, for me, going into it, when it started, we do find out that he is a homosexual. Yeah. But, you know, you just kind of think he's kind of weird. He's kind of odd. And sometimes really intelligent people just kind of have their own little spot and they don't mix well with other people. So you yeah. could get the impression that he's just kind of, you know, super smart. Yeah, yeah. And just doesn't interact well with others because he's so much smarter than everybody right. else. And yeah. you, you can kind of say, oh, yeah, I can kind of get that. But um, you, you really don't see him acting in homosexual ways. <laughs> right. Right. In the movie until, you know, you find out later why he's being interrogated and you're going, right. oh, I see. It's, it's not like he's doing jazz hands and, yeah, and I mean, singing Broadway tunes. He's, or, he's fitting yeah. into society even if he's not uh, fully integrated. <laughs> right. But he he's a professor, he's teaching, he's doing all these things, albeit somewhat differently. But he yeah, is sure. functional and um, in helping progress the mathematics oh, mathematics yeah, field yeah, and right. um so because it is a true story i think for me it's something that um there's some there are some serious issues to consider because this stuff is really based in reality there's a lot of things that happened that are kind of questionable and yeah. you know we'd probably talk about that in uh, ethics yeah. and morality and okay yeah I, jordan did you have anything overall to say uh, no, not really, not overall. I mean, I think it's, I don't have as much problem with the, with the timeline stuff, I think, as, as you do. Okay. But maybe that's like a generation thing. Oh, yeah, I, I'm too old to really follow along <laughs> with some of this stuff. Because, because, like, your generation, you don't really concentrate on anything for a long period of time. Is that what you're telling me? You're back and forth and back and forth. She's in the Ritalin generation. <laughs> she 
is not. No, no, <laughs> she is not. That's right. Well, I, I had some issues, and Mom kind of touched on a couple of them. The one, I don't mind doing the flashbacks and the flash forwards, but I think you need to be really careful to do that well. And right at the beginning, I think it was hard to keep up with what, what was present and past and, and all that. So I, I think that could have been done a little bit better. The other issue that you touched on was the fact that Turing is pictured as being such an odd duck. And uh, I honestly couldn't help but think while I was watching him and watching him try to interact with the people on his team at first. I couldn't help but think Dr. Sheldon Cooper and that the Big Bang Theory has done this to death and they've done it better. And uh, and his portrayal as being a guy who just doesn't know how to interact socially and stuff like that. I just, uh, I was kind of smiling the whole time. I was like, this is Sheldon. Well, yeah, yeah. but I mean, if you knew Sheldon... In a different setting, the people that he's interacting with are his friends. Yeah, yeah. They have a relationship. They have things in common. They care about each other. If you were to run across Sheldon somewhere in a store or anywhere else at work, and he was not your friend, you would find him very irritating. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. And even even the difference between Sheldon and Turing is Sheldon's still a little bit more outspoken. Turing was pretty much... Um, kind of liked being cut off from people. He liked right. not interacting with them. And he didn't care yeah, about that. Right, you know, right. he had his other other things kept him occupied and he didn't he didn't have a need for people. Yeah. Yeah. And and I think portraying him that way helped with the uh underlying desire of the movie to kind of portray him as a victim and uh from what I'm able to read, he was not quite as, uh, well, he was just a lot more outgoing and a lot, a lot, uh, uh, what am I trying to say? He wasn't, he wasn't a guy that life was just happening to, you know, uh, according to some of what I read and that he was, there were issues he could be very out front and outspoken about and mm -hmm. never tried to hide his sexuality, I guess, and uh, and I wondered about that because you really don't see it in the movie right. at all. Right, right, that's right. And like I say, I think that catered to maybe portraying him as somebody that bad things were just kind of happening to instead of him being, you know, actively involved in one thing or another. There were a couple of places in the movie where I felt like it had an ambition to be very preachy. I think it wanted to be preachy, and I think it wanted to be more profound than it wound up being able to be. And uh, sometimes I think that's just the culture we live in, where, you know, musicians and and movies, <laughs> they get credit for being a lot more profound than they really are, and for being a lot for having much deeper thoughts than they really do. Yeah. And uh, that's what struck me about the movie. A couple of places where that, where that showed up was it was repeated three times, this idea that the reason men are violent is because it feels good. And I think they really wanted that to be a profound point that they made. But 
Uh, it's really not when you think about it. If the reason men are violent is because it feels good, then what's the reason men are peaceful? And, uh, and, and really you can boil it down. The reason anybody does anything is because they feel like it satisfies something inside them or meets some kind of desire or need or something like that. Yeah. Well, I would think they're they're off the mark on saying you're violent because it feels good. Because, to me, it's about power. Oh yeah, a lot of that. You yeah. know, and and if violence is a way to assert power sure. over somebody, yeah, then people will do that. But it's not for violence. It's for the power <laughs> of having them under your thumb or having them terrified to do anything against you. And so it's not about the violence. It's about the power. Yeah. Yeah, I'd go along with that. And also I was reminded of James chapter 4 where it asks the question, where do wars and fights come from among you? And it really boils down to you uh, you strive and you fight against each other because you have unfulfilled desires and lusts and mm -hmm. uh, you're kind of hoping that your violence will fix that for you. You know, and and you have not because you ask not, and and that kind of thing. So, I just felt like that was one place where the movie tried to be uh, really deep, and and it really wasn't. The other place we already mentioned, I introduced you, kind of in. <laughs> there was another phrase that was repeated three times, and I probably can't say it right. I think they wanted it to be a catchphrase, or they wanted it to be a. I really think Walt Disney could have done a better job in, in like a cartoon, this idea that it's the person that you don't imagine much of that often winds up doing more than you imagine. Yeah. And that just, and it's hard to say. It's just very clunky. And, yeah. you know, I imagine it being something they wanted it to be able to be put into kind a... Kind of roll off the tongue. Right. And, yeah. <laughs> Something like "Let It Go," you know. You want it to be in a in a song like that, you know. <laughs> they wanted it to be that kind of catchphrase, and it's just it's clunky, and I'm not, you know, not terribly sure. That there might that, have been a better way to say that, <laughs> right? I'm sure Disney could, is is what I'm saying, <laughs> and I'm sure they have. You yeah. know, it's the same idea that just because you're little and small and and nobody thinks much of you, that doesn't mean you can't do great things and. Uh, you know, it's not like the movies in general have never explored that theme, yeah. you know. And uh, the other thing that I thought they were trying to be profound about and they just didn't pursue it enough is at the end, the question was kind of raised about, uh, is there really a hard difference to be drawn between humans and machines? And what does it mean to think like a human? And and if we have machines that are thinking, then what separates human thinking from machine thinking? And uh, frankly, I think that's a that's a neat conversation. That's that's something worthy of being explored. But they just kind of asked the question and never really, never really explored it. So some of that for me, I didn't think worked very well. I just got the, I just got the overall impression that. They wanted to be a great preacher, and, and they really didn't have much to say, which happens to me like every Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, every Sunday. <laughs>
Okay. Uh, anything else before we dive into the covenant structure? Okay. Well, point one of the biblical covenant is transcendence. And in the Bible, that's where we find out that God is the creator. There's no other who can create. He's the revealer. No other can reveal absolute truth. He's the redeemer. No one else can redeem fallen humans. He's the ultimate lawgiver. No one else can say what's ultimately right or wrong but God. And, and so, as we apply that here, one of the, the we might ask those sorts of questions. Does the Bible have, or does the movie here have anything to say about any of those topics? Lawgiving or truth, ultimate truth, or redemption? Do y'all have any thoughts along those lines? The, uh, the one thing that I thought was that uh, it wasn't something that was overtly stated very often, but I felt like uh, it was obvious to me that the Turing character believed that if he did crack the Enigma code, it would represent a form of redemption for him. And... Uh, hmm. and that was about the closest thing that I found. Other than that, I think the absence of those themes points to the fact that the movie places itself in a materialistic uh, universe where there is no transcendence. And so for me, the closest thing was that, that idea that if they did what they set out to do, it would represent a form of redemption. Well, for me, I think I saw Turing as being that, that person because he was the one being brought in to be interviewed and, you know, was kind of flipping about everything. And right. he's like, no, you need me. And I'm going to, you're going to have me here. And then he goes out on the team and he's just like a regular guy. And then suddenly he's elevated and he's, he's the guy in charge, you know. Right. They were like, no, we don't want to do what you want to do. And he's like, who's your boss? Right. Because I'll get this taken care of. <laughs> right. And so, you know, you see him kind of above all the stuff that's going on with the sure. machine. And I need to build this machine and I need a lot of money for it. Okay, well, here's your money for oh, it. And yeah, then, yeah. okay, I need you all to do this. And, um, you know, so he's just kind of, I see him being the one that's in charge of everything. <laughs> or at least he has that appearance. And then, of course, yeah. as we flip back and forth between the two, you see that there is another law that's over him that uh, he hadn't really ever thought he'd have to deal with. and But yet there it was. And Yeah. Well, and then the only other place where anything like transcendence is mentioned is once they do break the enigma, they say things like, now we're in the position of God because mm -hmm. we control the truth you know yeah, we're the, the only ones who know all these things and and so we're in control yeah and so again by by breaking the enigma they kind of become more than mere mm -hmm. mortals and well and even in that breaking the code you know he's the one saying we can't we can't tell anybody we've done this yeah right you know and so he's always the one steering the boat so to speak <laughs> right okay so uh, point two of the covenant is representation or hierarchy, and in the Bible it would be like God saying, I'm going to be in a covenant relationship with you people, and my representatives among you will be the priests over here, or the prophets over here, or, or this king here, or this Christ, that uh, 
these will be my representatives. So it, uh, our question then becomes, if we've narrowed down what transcendence is in this in this production, who represents that? And I think we've already nailed who that would be. It's not that Turing represents that transcendence, but he, he kind of is the closest thing to transcendence because of his intellect and mm-hmm. his that redemption that does take place as he accomplishes his goal. Any thoughts, Jordan? Uh, no, that's probably about what I was thinking, too. Okay. Well, you have the his friends... Will they actually turn kind of into his friends? Uh-huh. <laughs> when they're coming in, they're saying, we're going to give you a month, a day, or whatever. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. And they're like, you're out of here. And they said, you, you get him out of here, then we're out of here, too. And so um, in that way, they were supportive of him still being the person in charge. And then, of course, I think the machine <laughs> yeah, right. was a representative oh. of him oh, as yeah. well. Yeah, nice. And he, you the know, machine is an outgrowth of him. Yeah. Oh, and so, yeah, yeah, you know, cool. It's not a machine, it's Christopher. Sure. You know, this isn't a, a mechanical thing. This means more to him than that. And he knows that it's not just programming this thing that it'll find the answer. And he has absolutely no doubts that this is going <laughs> right. to work and it's going to do what it's supposed to do. He's created it in his image and, and he winds up believing he has some relationship with it mm-hmm. and yeah that's real neat i hadn't i hadn't seen that but now that you say that it seems obvious to me <laughs> uh the other the other bit that i thought of in terms of representation and and how that would work is at the beginning when they're assembling their team the government which thinks it's in charge but really throughout the movie isn't yeah They've got their list of who they say is qualified to be on this team. Mm-hmm. But then Turing comes along and kind of trashes the list. Mm-hmm. Comes up with his and, own. And comes up with his own test. And the test is a way of saying, it's your performance in the test that's important to me. Your performance is what qualifies you. And I think that's related to his whole... Uh, idea of redemption can you actually accomplish this can you beat this obstacle that's Mm -hmm. what's going to yeah that's going to be the closest thing to redemption and as far as i'm concerned it's the only thing that qualifies you i tend to this is a secular movie and it preaches a secular message but i tend to agree with that like we talked last time in dealing with psych where sean spencer had the had the skills and gifts to be a great detective, and it was only stupid people who wanted to keep him from employing those yeah. skills. And and I, I kind of like here that Turing knows what kind of skills he needs on his team and mm-hmm. and knows that it doesn't have anything to do with what degrees you've earned. Yeah, gender. Or, or, right, or, your, or certifications that this authority or that bureaucracy has given you mm-hmm. that, that has nothing to do with it as far as he's concerned it's can you do what i'm asking you to do that's the only thing that qualifies you yeah and i really think that's the way it used to be in america it's the way it used to be in the west and we've gotten into this whole deal where you can't do this thing unless <laughs> the college right <laughs> have you got the piece of paper from yeah. the college 
Yeah. You're not educated if you don't have the sheepskin on your wall. It doesn't matter what you've read or what you've yeah. written or how you've researched. How it's, yeah. Right. Somebody else is defining. And so, for me, I wrote down that in that sense, it's representational because it means you're qualified by your performance. Anything from you, Jordan? You still with us? Yeah, I'm here. I just, you know, <laughs> She's you're doing it. good. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, stop me if you need to. Are we ready to move on to ethics? I have a feeling okay. that's where there's going to be more <laughs> to say. Fur flying. <laughs> okay, point three of the biblical covenant is ethics, and it's where we talk about you shall not do this, you shall do this. If you're going to be part of this organization, this is how you shall live. And so I think the easiest way to spot what the system of ethics is in a movie or a TV show or a book is to look specifically at, at moral crisis that our heroes go through or that major characters go through and, and figure out how did they resolve this and that will point to the worldview. Anybody got anything? I guess I kind of figured the biggest one was probably when they were when they had first discovered the you know, they'd broken the code and stuff and they realized that there was gonna be that German attack on the yeah. British convoy and stuff and and the the sort of the debate that they had to have, like, amongst themselves about, like, well, if we stop this, then all these, like, people are going to die, but if we don't stop it, then, you know, and all this all this stuff about not wanting the Germans to find out, and then we find out that that kid Peter has his brother on that convoy, and, right. like, right. now, like, all the guilt and, like, having to decide which set of lives is more important and stuff, so I thought that was a pretty big... Uh, moral crisis yeah yeah and where they really did have to decide if we just start using this information that we have now the germans will realize we have it and and they'll just change it and uh and so we have to be careful about how, how good we can be right and and so it really forced them to say this set of lives over here is important with regard to the final objective that we have in mind while this other set of lives may be more important or you know this one uh, we have to let these die in order to meet this objective so what is that is it's very pragmatic and it seems to be kind of uh, ends justify the means mm -hmm. there's there's one specific goal we have in mind and everything else has to kind of be in subjection to that goal yeah well, that was a big one. That one was, and I that they recognized that immediately as soon as they broke it. Well, Turing did. You yeah. know, yeah. Well, supposedly, <laughs> you know, in the movie, anyway. Right. Uh -huh. That they saw that you know other people would have just gone running out. Yeah, we saw that. You know. Right. Sure. <laughs> but for them to be like, they celebrated, and then they realized the weight of what they had solved. Right. It wasn't just about a puzzle anymore. You know, it was it was really a lot larger. Yeah, it was the fate of nations yeah. that they were dealing with. Yeah. For me, uh, I saw probably the first crisis in his timeline. It's not the first one that we kind of see maybe in the movie. Uh -huh. 
is uh, when he's back at boarding school and his friend isn't there anymore. Christopher oh, right. isn't right, there. Right. And the headmaster's telling oh. him what's going on and um, just his, no, we're not really that good of friends. No, we're <laughs> not. You know, I don't know why you're telling me this. All right. I don't need to know this. And, um, you know, that has to play a part in why he calls his machine Christopher. Sure. That oh, has yeah. to be part of why he maybe doesn't want to interact with people as much anymore. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I'm putting more on that. But that's, I think that was a huge moral crisis for him. How do you deal with that? How is anybody helping him deal with that loss of that person? Oh, yeah. And that was really the only friend that we see him even getting along with or interacting with or anything. Yeah. And so... Um, for me, it just seems like I think a lot of the times we don't want to feel things, and so we'll say, oh no, this isn't important, or I'm not going to, I don't want to deal with this, so I'm just going to push it aside, but the grieving process is just really, it's a process, and it's necessary, and you have to do all of those things, and it's not easy, and it's not fun, but it's, it's part of, it's part of life. You know, death is part yeah, of life. And right. for Christians, it doesn't make mean that it's any easier to lose somebody that you love. <laughs> no. But we have hope, whereas the world does not have that's hope. Right. And maybe that's that's what I see in that place is that lack of hope. And then how that just kind of stunts him, I think, yeah. in a lot of ways. Yeah. I think you could say that, that the fact that he refused to deal honestly with even his own feelings in that instance maybe resulted in him being really unable to just deal with much of anything after that the other ethical problem that i think was pretty obvious was kind of maybe one of the main points of the movie i think they tried to make a pretty big deal out of uh, how horrible it was for the British government to punish homosexuality as a crime and that, that this is a big moral mm -hmm. uh, evil on the part of the government there. And it seemed to me that was one of the major things they were preaching about. But uh, I just want to point out that I think if you study the law of God and and figure out how to apply that in society. I've said before, I don't think the law of God allows for even just a regular police force, much less does it allow for, like, thought police or sex police. Uh -huh. And uh, so even though it's my conviction that the law of God really does outlaw homosexuality and it makes it a capital offense, still you would not have, in a society governed by the law of God, you wouldn't have sex police that were out trying to catch you doing bad things and, and punish you for those. Because according to the law of God, there's really, there's the only time a criminal case uh, becomes a criminal case, the only time the government gets involved at all is because the, is because the victim of a crime shows up and and begins to complain or files a complaint about it so so does the bible outlaw homosexuality yes is it a yeah. capital crime yes but 
hard to imagine a circumstance in which somebody would actually find themselves punished that way. Yeah. You know, unless they're having gay sex in public or or something like that, acting very defiantly. So I, I just want to point that out. I think that the way the British government has portrayed their dealing with homosexuality, I don't think it's right according to a biblical reading of those things. Mm-hmm. You know, the fact that they just began to suspect that maybe he had, maybe Turing had contracted with a male prostitute or something. The suspicion isn't enough to cause the investigation. Yeah. You know? Well, and that whole right. that whole segment of the movie, you know, he had a break-in at his home. Right. And so the police come in, according to the movie, and they say, right. you know, this is questionable. This guy's kind of weird. There's got to be something else going on here. Yeah. And so the, the one in charge says, eh, just leave it. You know, it's fine. Right. Keep going on. But one guy wasn't satisfied and actually went about and did things improperly right. in order to find out more information on him. And so all this stuff just snowballed because one guy wasn't satisfied and had to dig more and just kept right. getting answers that he wasn't satisfied with and had to dig more. and um, In illegal ways. Yes, and, yeah. and, and doing it completely wrong yeah, right. with a police fa- you know, a police power saying, no, I can do this because I'm the police. And yeah. so, you know, that was wrong. Sure. Yeah. You know, that shouldn't have been allowed. And he should have been the one in trouble <laughs> right. for doing that. And I think by the time the movie's over, I think he feels badly that he did all of this stuff to this guy. Yeah, I think that's But it's right. too late. Yeah, Hello? Right. You right. know, you can't just go digging around in people's lives and and think you're not going to harm them. Right. Which is kind of why we need to let criminal cases be motivated by victims' complaints. Mm-hmm. You know, if there's nobody complaining, nobody's yeah. filing anything, we don't need to be pursuing anything. Yeah. And so the the British government's solution of chemical castration, you know, that's an unbiblical punishment. And insofar as it, it subjected Turing to, according to the movie, to a couple of years of just, uh, you know, mental and emotional devastation or mm. even physical devastation. Yeah. You know, that's not that's not a biblical punishment either. And, uh, you know, the Bible never authorizes torture as a, <laughs> as a solution yeah. really to anything, including uh, criminal activity. Which is what that wound up being. It was uh, a way of torturing him. and uh, So there was a lot wrong from a biblical standpoint. It's not just that homosexuality is wrong, but government doing what it wants to in its own way and ignoring the law of God, that's also wrong. And yeah. So uh, there, were, there was evil on a lot of different cases there. I found myself wondering that if they had this law regarding homosexuality, did they also have a similar type of law with adultery? Right. Was adultery or <clears throat> prostitution? And it seems like, you know, yeah. those would just kind of walk hand in hand, and I wonder how yeah. uh, how they pursued those cases. <laughs> yeah. Sure. You know, because um, homosexuality, adultery, 
it's all sin. Yeah. And it's prevalent in our culture, uh, especially adultery. I mean, I don't know how many people are just living with other people, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And have no intentions of getting married or right. or anything else. And, and that's adultery. But it's like, oh, no, they're just living together. Yep. Just have a good, <laughs> clean fun. So... All right. Jordan, you have anything on ethics? No, but I've been nodding this whole time. All right. All right. Well, we can't see you on the phone. <laughs> was there anything else? What did you think about um, when he was making his proposition to the girl? Was that ethical? Uh, well, probably not, I guess. But, but I don't know. Like, I... I don't know. I feel like if, if, uh, I almost feel like they would have gone through with it and both sort of been okay with the arrangement <laughs> if it hadn't been for that MI6 guy coming in and kind of freaking, uh, Alan out. Yeah. So I don't know. Because I feel like, like if he was in that marriage and she was aware of the situation and they both, I mean, would that be wrong? For them to just live together as partners. I think as long as they're bound by a covenant and they're not out there cheating on each other, there's nothing in the Bible that mandates a specific amount of minimum sex in in marriage. I mean, I've looked, but I don't... <laughs> and, uh, I think as long as they were both uh, faithful to their vows, uh, I think... There wouldn't be anything that anybody could say to her. Yeah, I I think I, I'm in agreement with that. Because she was aware, and she was like, she's okay with that. We understand each other. And so yeah, we understand each other better than a lot of other people could ever understand. Yeah. So, although it may have looked bad on the surface, I think they would have been, they would have been okay. Right. Okay. Now, point four, the biblical covenant is sanctions, and it talks about uh, this is where we talk about if you obey God, what will you get as a result? If you disobey God, what will the consequences be? So under under point four, under sanctions, the question we want to ask is, did people get what they deserved? Or how did that work out? And my thought was that kind of the whole point of the movie is to say that Alan Turing didn't get what he deserved and that he got much worse than was coming to him. I think that's maybe the main message of the movie or something that he wasn't treated well and deserved better than he got. So under sanctions, I think that's probably one of the answers is that Turing wasn't appreciated for his accomplishments and, and then for his homosexuality, he was, he wasn't treated biblically either. And, uh, yeah, didn't wind up really getting what was coming to him. I don't know if you had any other ideas. Yeah, that's probably the the biggest one for me. It's just that, like, this whole movie seems to... Because of this one thing at the end of his life, he the whole rest of his accomplishments, just nobody talks about it at all and all this <laughs> right. stuff. Right, yeah. Now, his female co-worker, the one he was about to marry, she kind of did wind up with pretty much getting what she wanted she knew she didn't want to have a traditional or conventional kind of marriage because she wanted to be able to work outside the home and 
and all that back in the 40s and 50s and and uh she kind of wound up with that so that was the only other instance where i could see a manifestation of rewards well but i think we're forgetting too that this was a military uh endeavor and it was top secret and i don't know having been married to somebody in the submarine service you know there there are just some things that are classified and you can't tell things about them and you know if something cool happens out there and you get some type of award and you can't talk about it i mean you can't talk about it there's some national security issues there yeah yeah so and i think he would have been okay with that i don't oh, think yeah. that was like bad for him yeah i don't think he needed a steam yeah I don't think he needed that. He had his machine out of that deal, and that was like, that was it. And his sense of accomplishment, like I say, was probably as close to redemption as he was wanting to get. No, but I was curious, because at the end, when the war was finally over, they were supposed to get rid of everything. Yeah. So did the machine really go away, and he just built another one in his house? That was I my mean, impression, that he rebuilt it. Because, I mean, it was something. Yeah, something yeah. similar. Yeah, yeah it didn't really look like the same machine. Yeah, but he still called it Christopher, though. Yeah. Yeah. And it wasn't like Christopher 2.0. It was just <laughs> Christopher. So I didn't know. Maybe yeah. he took some components and reused them. I don't know. But I think he would have been fine without any recognition yeah, you're for what right. he did. Right. And as far as the, the injustice of him being... Uh, having to do the the chemical castration type of stuff. Yeah. And the end of that, you know, there's still some justice in that, too. We don't want to see it because we don't want to call sin what it is. Yeah. That it is sin. And there is a price and a penalty for sin. Ultimately, that's death, that we all die a physical death because that's how sin sure. came into the world. And so that's yeah. something we all have to deal with. But you don't have that scale of, look, he did all this great stuff, he saved the world, you know, we got rid of the Nazis, uh, right. everything worked out, and so, but yet, here we have this on the other hand, <laughs> right? and he shouldn't have been treated like that. And, well, that's what I'm saying, don't you think that was the main thing that the movie was trying to get across, that look at all his good things that he did, and he should have been treated better. But... That's not what the reality of our oh, situation no. is. Oh, no. No, you're absolutely right. Okay, so we'll move on to point five. And point five of the covenant in the Bible is secession. Succession. I always want to say secession. <laughs> <laughs> We're not separating. We're moving yeah. forward. Okay, so... Uh, the biblical covenant, the last point, is about how do we move forward? How will this covenant exist in the future and what will happen here and i don't think there was much of that in the movie the one thing that i saw the one covenant organization that continued on probably stronger than it was at the beginning was the british government and uh and specifically the clandestine uh form and if I drew a lesson from that and, and what to do in the future, it tells me, man, you really can't trust your government, you know. Mm. Because according to the movie and apparently according to the British government's realistic admissions, 
they really did have Enigma figured out, and they really were secretly deciding who lived and who died for several years yeah. in an effort to end the war in the way they wanted. And uh, and even at the end of the movie, they pointed out that the whole thing, the whole story of how they broke Enigma was classified n until 1991. And uh, so it occurred to me, if you'd had British people over there in England from the end of the war until that point saying, oh, I believe the government was in charge. The, the, uh, the British government had its uh, clandestine tentacles on everything, and they were really manipulating the events of the war. Well, yeah, they were. Yeah. And, uh, but anybody who suggested that would have been called a, you know, a tinfoil hat-wearing conspiracy theorist. <laughs> and, yeah. And it's just, yeah. it's just one more thing that makes me think maybe the crazy people are the ones who automatically dismiss every conspiracy theory. Maybe, maybe we need to be a lot less trusting of our government. And in fact, maybe <laughs> as I read the Bible and it's talking about total depravity and, and what the nature of man really is, why in the world would you trust your government, especially when it's got by Unlimited. its own admission, it's yeah. got no desire to obey Christ. Yeah. And you're going to trust that government anyway? That makes no sense to me. So let's give well, the government all of our guns and, and just trust them to be good guys. So none of that makes sense to me. All right. Yeah. Well, we are about out of time. Unless you have anything left, Jordan? Um, no, I guess I don't have anything left. All right. And Mama, you got anything? Mm, no. Okay, I don't have anything either. I don't even know exactly what we're going to do next time. And uh so we'll have to we'll have to post that on our Facebook page and we will after this comes out we'll we'll post a big announcement of what the next thing will be. We have some suggestions and some uh some requests, but Frankly, I will probably do them. <laughs> a couple of them are for movies that I really don't want to watch again. <laughs> oh, that's all right. Yeah. Doing it for for learning. Taking one for the team. For learning. Yeah. All right. So God bless you all out there in podcast land. Thanks for listening to us. And as always, uh, please be mindful about trying to apply the word of God to every area of, of our lives including entertainment all right goodbye then god bless you all see ya bye thank you for listening to the worldview media podcast please visit reconstructionistradio.com to check out the other podcasts in our network and to download our free audiobooks The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network brings to you a complete lineup of podcasts where you will hear practical and tactical theology. Our desire is not simply that you consume our shows, but that you also live out your faith in every area of life. We can talk all day long about these things, but if we fail to put them into practice, then we fail as ambassadors of Jesus Christ our King. Subscribe now to your favorite Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network shows 
or you can subscribe to the Reconstructionist Radio Master Feed, where all of the content we produce, including the audiobooks and audio articles, will pop up as soon as they are available. And don't forget to visit ReconstructionistRadio.com to volunteer as a narrator or to partner with this ministry financially. May the Holy Spirit stir you into action for Christ and His kingdom.